We talked yesterday about two pieces of the armor of God. What were they? Yep. Shoes and shield. And we talked about how um, um, the shield of faith was uh, a reflection of the Roman soldier's shield, which was about three to four feet high that um, was slightly curved so that it would deflect um, attacks that were coming against it. We talked about how it was covered in leather so that they could... um, soak it in water if they knew they were going to be in a fiery battle, literally, um, to extinguish the darts of the enemy. We talked about how, um, which this video kind of explained, some of the darts are despair, discouragement, um, discontentment that Satan wants to throw at us. And then we talked about what faith is. Um, It was kind of neat. Lou walked up and said, that one line you said yesterday has hit me so hard. Does anybody remember the simple definition of faith? Belief in action. And this is Lou Tibbetts saying, if more of us would get off our duffs, (laughs) we could have a better shield for when we're under attack. Faith is belief in action. I can have faith that this chair would hold me, or that this mantle um, hearth would hold me, but unless I'm willing to put my full weight on it, it's not faith, it's just belief. And I think one of the lies that we've fallen for, in the United States especially, is that faith is just belief. I think we've fallen for the lie that um, the idea of Um, What it means to be a Christian is just, you pray this little prayer and you're done. And we have so diminished what God wants to do in our lives that we end up completely vulnerable in all kinds of ways. Would someone look up for me Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse, shoot. 17 and 18 are the ones I really want, but I think we start in 15. Honey, you have to go like Daniel 3, and then you have to pretend like you're reading it in your mind, and then go. Yes, 15, yeah, because that's, right? (laughs) You just pick it out, and you go this one, yeah. Even Uh, if you don't know, just fake it. Love that. I know. I know, right? Totally. Fake it till you make it. That's right. This is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah. And the power of their faith. Would somebody, um, would somebody read that? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down Thank you. 
but even if not, are you willing to worship God who may or may not save you from physical death? One thing that hit me about 10 years ago, you'd think it had hit me longer ago than that, but it is that God is God over our lives, and God is still God after we die. There's a lot more um, that is worse than physical death. And am I willing to put my complete faith in a God who may... um, may not save me from physical death. Do you know what the mortality rate in the United States is in 2016? 100%. Oh. You guys are so much smarter than the people in Dexter. I totally got them on that the first time I said that. But you think about um, the shield of faith that those three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had. And you think about how their entire lives were guarded by that faith. But if not, I'm still going to worship the living God. But if not, we have no idea the misery that it brings us when we say, I'll serve Jesus as long as it costs me nothing. We have no idea how vulnerable we are, not just physically, but mentally, spiritually, relationally, in every way. We have no idea the misery we cause ourselves when we say, I'll serve Jesus as long as it costs me nothing. Picking up the shield of faith is your best defense against the attacks of the enemy. And we talked about yesterday, so far we've hit on items that we wear, the shield we must take up. We must take that up each day. I'm going to walk in this way. We also looked at the Bible's definition of faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is not just, well, I don't know how it works, so I'm just going to put faith in it. That's sort of what the enemy has reduced the robustness of scriptural faith to. Well, science can't really explain it, so I'm just going to take it on faith. Faith is substance. Faith is evidence. Faith is belief in action, and it's centered on, it's a centered faith. It's not just faith in general. The shield of faith that you need is you need to claim my faith is in a person. It's centered on Jesus Christ. It's personal faith. It's centered on a person. And it's something that I must own personally. So I can't really borrow someone else's shield of faith and expect that it's going to cover me the same. I need to own it. And the other thing about faith is that it's relational. Romans 5.1. Would somebody read that?
Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. We've been justified through faith. We've been lined up with God through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We ended yesterday talking about how Noah's faith saved him long before the ark ever did. Whatever it is that you think um, you're praying for God to do for you, know that your prayer itself, a prayer in faith, is the protection to get you there or wherever better God has for you. It's an everyday faith when nothing is happening. Even on a day here, even on a day at home when there's nothing major going on, for you to say, I'm taking up my faith in Jesus Christ. I am living it out today. I'm claiming my baptism today. There's so many different ways we say it. And it's every day. You don't have to see the darts. The thing about darts, you don't see them until they hit you. That's why daily we walk with Christ. Daily we pick up the shield of faith. This one's a little small. Noah had to have faith for 120 years of nothing happening but people mocking him and teasing him before they saw what was happening. One other thing that I think is, is uh, tricky for us to have an active shield of faith for spiritual battle, and it's this, it's never enough to live on yesterday's faith. Jesus, in his prayer, said, pray for daily bread, not a week's supply. There's so much in there. The manna was day by day by day. Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another daily while it is still called today. This is the only moment we have. Encourage one another daily while it is still called today, lest your hearts be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It wasn't like he, the, the author was being redundant. Encourage one another daily while it is still called today. He's saying encourage one another daily in this moment. It is all we have. We don't have yesterday anymore. We don't have tomorrow. We have this moment now. Interestingly, God woke me up at 6 a.m. On, on January 1st this year. And I realized 2015, everything that happened in 2015, our oldest son got married. We went through all kinds of things. In 2015, it's all gone. We weren't made I was not made for 2015. You were not made for 2015. You're not made for 2016. You're made for eternity. C.S. Lewis has a great quote. Sorry, I keep quoting C.S. Lewis. He, okay, I won't apologize. He has a great quote. He says, you know, uh, Ecclesiastes, the author says, um, I designed men and women with eternity in their hearts. Part of the reason we know we were designed for eternity is because we're always surprised at the passage of time. When you see someone you haven't seen in a while, either you think, wow, they really grew up, or you think, wow, they really look old. <laughs> and we're always surprised. And in his insight, he realized that that little nuance of, whoa, 
Maybe because our, our deepest DNA patterning is not for this world, but that it's for eternity. And so we're always surprised by the passage of time. It's never enough to live on yesterday's faith, especially because after you've lived by faith, if you've been through a time in your life where all you felt like you could cling to as you were moving through life was your faith in Christ. It's never enough to live, once you've lived by faith that way, it is never enough just to live by the faith. Let me say that again. Because after you've lived by faith, living by the faith just isn't enough. We need to live daily by faith. Belief in action. You know, one of the challenges is, is uh, with, I think, part of what Satan puts in our minds is that we've started thinking that faith removes ambiguity rather than calls us to live in it. We've thought faith removes ambiguity rather than calling us to live in it. And by faith, I can, I can know I've got Jesus Christ with me for whatever is coming at me. And it is my faith in Christ. You know, a lot of people struggle because they'll go through a, a powerful time where God blesses our feelings, and our feelings um, get us through a lot. But when the feelings go away, um, that's when the shield of faith will continue to carry us through. If we felt the presence of God with us at every moment. Um, we wouldn't need faith. There, the relationship would not be there the same. The fact of Jesus Christ and his resurrection the, leads to our faith, and oftentimes feelings become a part of that, and God shapes our feelings. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But my faith is not in my faith. My faith is in Jesus Christ. So it's like my faith, that's the, the, the shield of faith faces outward, not toward me. In other words, um, if there's a frozen pond and we're in Alaska, how I approach the pond doesn't matter. Will it hold me or not? I can have all the confidence, I can, I can have all the caution in the world and crawl out in January on this pond in Alaska and will the ice hold me? Probably. Yes. But, okay, suppose I'm in Indiana and there's been a, a, a freeze and there's a pond and the ice, there's ice covering the pond and I have all the confidence in the world and I go booking out onto the ice. What happens? I'm cold and wet. That's what it means. So how I approach the ice is irrelevant, isn't it, in those two situations? In other words, my faith is not in my own confidence of how I'm approaching the ice. My faith is in the ice. And if my faith is in God himself, I don't have to worry about how I'm approaching it. 
It's just the faith of a mustard seed is enough to put the belief in action. You know, a lot of times, and when we're talking about the armor, we think um, it's kind of this big noble thing, this big strong thing. That's why I had Eric stand up. You know, we're like, whoa. The, um, <laughs> we were like, the fact whoa. is, the fact is, um, Paul commends Timothy for the faith of two women in his life. Who are they? Eunice and Lois, his mom and his grandma. And he talks about, uh, he reminds us, you know, when we step out in faith, when we pick up the shield, oftentimes it feels like we're the first ones to do it. We forget we are not the first, that we have been given this faith by great men and women. We also forget, because um, we think, why don't I pick up the shield of faith? Well, I'm not strong enough. I, my life is not together enough. But we need to remember, uh, I'm not facing any great battles. You know, I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not Tom Harmon. So I can't even take myself seriously. How am I supposed to pick up a shield of faith? And if somebody, let's look up 2 Timothy. And this is how we're wrapping up the shield of faith. Because I think sometimes, you know, talking about this armor, some of us are like, I'm not really a warrior. I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Would somebody read that? Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, 5 through 7. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hand. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's good. Paul is, use, is writing to Timothy, who obviously is struggling with what? Fear, timidity, and this is Timothy, one of our greats. And he's calling not Samson, he's calling Eunice and Lois. And he's saying, follow those women. He's talking about the faith that you and I are called to, it's a it's, first of all, we're not the first. So don't feel isolated. Remember, Satan's tactic is to divide and, yeah. Realize you're not the first and you're not alone. Second, realize as you're approaching the, um, the darts of the enemy, you're approaching you. It is a daily faith. I had a praying grandma, Florence Olson, my Swedish praying grandma. I mentioned her a couple days ago. And... Her faith was just this daily faith. She didn't look like um, Samson. It was a daily faith. It's also a faith that you live in your own culture. Those of you who are here and who are going back home, and that when it comes to your faith walk means um, not... Uh, friendly territory, but maybe even 
enemy-occupied territory, not saying your spouse is your enemy or your family is your enemy, but there is an enemy. It is a faith that you live out in your own culture. So don't fall for the pattern of thinking, oh, if only I were somewhere else. You have been given your shield of faith for right where you are, and it is no accident. And then thirdly, this faith that we are called to pick up, it's daily, it's one you live out in your own culture, it's, it's a faith you live out in your own home, and it isn't always fancy or earth-shattering. It's just faithful. Listen as I read to you from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. Eventually, your Bibles will fall right open <laughs> to this passage. Finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, why? That you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh, it's not against blood, but it's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, because of that, take up your full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We're almost done with our study. In fact, today, the last defensive piece of our armor is this helmet of salvation. Why would Paul use a helmet? And why does he link it to salvation? I don't know about where you live, but in Dexter, we get a lot of bicyclists. And you have to be very careful driving in and around Dexter because of all of these cyclists. And in the last two weeks, friends of mine have witnessed accidents between cars and bicyclists, both of them hit and runs. Don't you, you know that Satan is the master of hit and run? Jab and get out of the way. Hit ya. Throw a dart. But these have been ha uh, hit and runs, both of them. Uh, in both cases, the fact that they were wearing bicycle helmets made a huge difference in their injuries. And in both cases, they were scraped and they were bruised. In both cases, there were uh, bones broken. In both cases, their helmets were crushed and mangled. But you know what? Their helmets saved them from a fatal injury in both cases. That's not always the case. Mm. You've heard of accidents where helmets weren't worn and the end result had been different. People said, if only they were wearing a helmet. We got chewed out by a friend of ours because we rode on this beautiful new river trail and we didn't wear our helmets. Or we weren't even on any streets. And uh, Anne said to both of us, do you know everybody in Dexter knows you? And so many of the kids know you 
and you weren't wearing your helmets. When Paul wrote to these uh, believers in Ephesians, we weren't wearing these either. <laughs> the Jewish believers would have been reminded of a passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 59, chapter, chapter 59, verse 17. Somebody turn there, Isaiah 59, 17. Well, say you've got it when you get there and read it for me. Okay, Isaiah is referring to God here. What does he say? Putting on righteousness and armor and a helmet of salvation on his head, putting on garments of vengeance and wrapping himself in a cloak of zeal. When, God, when Paul talked about the, the uh, helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness, it's the same armor God wears. What? Mm. What? You mean God wears armor? That's why we can really say in every sense we're putting on the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. God wears both of those. This helmet in Paul's time would have been fashioned from bronze or iron. Um, it would have really, I mean, it kind of would have looked like this, not this, but it would have, um, it, it would have had two cheek pieces that covered... Um, and protected the sides of its, its face. I know, right? Big head. It had this back part that covered the back of your neck. So it, it, everything was covered except your eyes, your nose, and your mouth. In Paul's time, well, at the time of Jesus, uh, they started putting on this crested plume of horse's hair. By the time Paul was writing this in about 60, in the 60s A.D., um, these plumes were dyed different colors to represent different ranks in the Roman army. So he had this whole helmet of salvation, but why the helmet? Why the helmet, and how does it represent salvation? What does it have to do with salvation? This helmet protects the head and the neck. And the helmet for the Roman soldier prevented the head from all of these attacks of the enemy, because a blow to the head can almost always be fatal. What did God say when he cursed the serpent in the garden? He said, he, meaning Jesus Christ, will bruise you on your head, and you will bruise him on your... Uh-uh. I said it differently, didn't I? He will bruise... You will bruise, Jesus Christ will bruise him, Satan, on his head, right? That's a fatal. That means. That's a fatal injury when he just squashes that serpent. And, and he, meaning Satan, will bruise you on your heel. A, a, a bruise to the heel, a heel injury, is not a fatal injury. That's why they didn't have their feet encased in iron. They had shoe, They had nails in their sandals so they could stand firm. But their helmet, on the other hand, was made of iron bronze because that, that it protected their head. It protected their head, and God speaks to the mind of man. Why do we need our heads protected? Because that's where God speaks. He speaks to our hearts, don't get me wrong, and that's covered by this breastplate of righteousness. But God speaks to our heads. In Isaiah 1, 18, he says this, Come, let us reason together, declares the Lord. I'm there, I'm there. <laughs> Though your 
Sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Come, let us reason together, God says. Come on, let's talk about this. Let me talk to you about this. Let's have a discussion. Let me convince you of this. God reasons with us in our mind. What is salvation? When he links it to salvation, what is salvation? What are we saved from? Well, salvation, um, I think our understanding of it is sort of like the sheep farmer who is subsistently living. Just made that word up. Uh, You've heard the story of the sheep farmer in the 1930s, the Texas sheep farmer who was um, uh, below the poverty line, not making it. And one day some riggers come by and say, could we check for oil? And they, they, they go down and find this wildcat well. He had, this sheep farmer had been a millionaire living in poverty his entire life until that moment. How many of us, because we don't understand the greatness of our salvation in Jesus Christ, how many of us, even though we may have um, put our faith in Christ, are living as uh, millionaires in poverty? When we talk about the resurrected Christ and the new life that we have in Christ, we need to understand, would somebody look up, uh, actually this is a great one for all of us, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Let's hear a few different versions. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. Perfect. Who's got another version? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Mm. <coughs> Amplified. <coughs> Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ the Messiah, he is a new creation. A new creature altogether. The old, previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. The old oppression has come. Mm-hmm. How many people here uh, are Walking Dead fans or have seen the TV show? <laughs> yeah. Do you understand? Scripture talks about resurrection, not resuscitation. (laughs) We live like millionaires in poverty when we don't understand that the old has passed away. How many of us have ever tried to put on one of our favorite old pieces of clothing and walked out and your spouse says, what are you wearing that for? And it doesn't fit right? That's just the tiniest example of how so many of us try to live out our salvation in Christ. 
Salvation means uh, the three theological words that tie in with salvation. First of all, salvation is in a person. It goes back to not being a religion. It is a relationship. Salvation is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You went from being a creature of God to being a son or a daughter of God. I think that's why Disney is making so much money. Because deep down in our DNA, we have some inkling that remnant of the image of God that is in us. You know, we were made in the image of God, but after sin entered the world, we were made in the image of Adam. We kind of missed that at Genesis 5. That we are now in, in the image of Adam, who is in the image of God. So the image of God in us is marred, but it's still there. I think that's why we identify so much with the whole, the stories of the princes and the princesses, because you were created to be a child of the king. That you were grafted into God's family. At one point, you weren't, and now you are. You know, there, we had a big debate uh, there's a guy in our, my men's group on Thursday mornings who's, who comes. It's like his favorite thing of the week, but he's not a believer. And he was, he was head of Chrysler Europe for eight years. And he retired to Detroit for 10 years and then moved to Dexter. And he loves this group. He has yet to pray out loud. But last Thursday, during one of the other guy's prayers as we go around, he went, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'll take it. I'll take it. The other thing that, um, that really threw him, we started looking at John chapter 1. To those um, who, uh, he came to his own, but his own received him not. But to those who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God, right, sons, daughters of God. And that really disturbed, his name is Tim, pray for Tim. Um, it really disturbed him because he said, aren't we all children of God? Hmm. And in some sense, yes, we are all potential children of God, but until we enter into that relationship where we become sons and daughters of God, um, Denise, our children and family pastor, said it so well, and I thought it was a nice, a good way to say it to somebody who would be really troubled by saying, what do you mean we're just creatures of God? You know, aren't we more than that? She said, maybe we're all children of God, but only some of us call him Father. Oh, that's good. Isn't that good? Yeah, that'll preach. So, in terms of, of salvation, it is resurrection into the kingdom of God. It is not resuscitation. And if we could get that in our minds, we are not the same. Salvation, three theological words. Um, one is justification. You know, like right justify on your computer, left justify. We are lined up with God. Our sins are no longer counted against us. Justification leads to sanctification, sanctity, holiness. 
we become more and more like Christ. It's what Tom's been talking about, that we are to grow in holiness. I should not be the same this year at camp as I was last year at camp. That the, the shield of faith, the dailiness of our faith should be um, growing in me. And that leads to glorification, which is the eternal making God famous in my life, magnifying the Lord. Why do we call it a helmet of salvation? I think maybe it is no accident that Paul is talking about our mind. Um, when when uh, one of the theologians got in a debate with Jesus, he said, the young man, what is the greatest of all commandments? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We... I, for so long, I never really thought about loving God with my mind. I just never thought about it. You know, loving God, you think your heart, you know, you think strength. Loving God with all my mind is so key. And I want to give you a name for when you're bored or if you want to feed yourself in some powerful ways. Um, an old ethics theologian professor named J.P. Moreland spelled just like the two words, more land. Um, he wrote a book called Loving God, with All, Loving God With Our Mind. Reed's nodding. He's amazing. He's been around. Lee actually got to see him. Um, had a class with him. Uh, had a class with him at Multnomah School of the Bible in Portland, Oregon. He points out some things. Not long ago, a prominent Ivy League professor wrote, let me summarize my views loudly and clearly. There are no gods, there are no purposes, there are no goal-directed forces of any kind. There is no life after death. When I die, I'm absolutely certain I'm going to be dead. That's the end of me. There's no ultimate foundation for ethics, no ultimate meaning in life, and no free will for human beings either. Which J.P. Moreland points out, that's an odd statement. If someone has to say nothing matters, why take the time to say it? <laughs> I mean, if nothing matters, why take the time? Apparently, he thought it was important to say that nothing matters. He took the time because he thought it was important to say nothing is important. Apart from that, the statement represents a growing segment of our population, especially in academia, especially um, there's a great search for meaning. But uh, the dominant Western culture uh, is on the secular side, universities, media, entertainment industry. Uh, a lot of people think today, following Jesus, it's not just antiquated and um, quaint. It's immoral. Because you're labeled as a bigot, you're labeled as a closed-minded person. It's for thoughtless people who don't value thinking. And some of that should be directed at us because we have not we've fallen into the old mindset satan's world system of saying there's fact and science and there's faith and christianity not realizing there there is no dichotomy between those two if you dig down deep enough but we don't and we just get our feelings hurt and we just post stupid things <laughs> thinking that's going to make it all better, and someone's going to go, oh, I was wrong all along. <laughs> that's why we need the helmet of salvation. We are new 
creatures. Don't you know victors can afford to be generous? Victors can afford to be generous. And we have been given everything that we need. The claim that you can only know things if you can see them, which is sort of the scientific mindset that the major um, forces in our society have, is, um, is a fortress. Would someone look up uh, 2 Corinthians 10.3? We're going to talk more about this tomorrow, but I just I want to get it in our minds today. 2 Corinthians 10.3. Think about the, this related to our salvation um, guarding our minds. Would somebody start 2 Corinthians 10.3 and go to 5? For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I love that, and I'm convicted by that. They are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. You know, one of the interesting things about this armor that we're talking about, it is defensive. There are other places in Scripture that talk about going out. Um, but we don't target um, the demonic. It says we target fortresses. Now, what they're talking about fortresses, I believe, are ideas or theories of some kind that undermine the knowledge of God. And we've allowed those fortresses, we're like banging our heads against the fortresses sometimes. For example, the claim that you can only know things if you see them, if they are measurable by weight, that's a fortress, and it needs to be destroyed. The number of ideas that are circulating that need to be targeted, you don't yell at it or censor it, you reason against it. You provide an argument against the idea. That's a part of spiritual warfare and the spiritual battle that we face. Satan knows if he can control how we think and feel, he can control us. Salvation frees us from that. Part of the love of God is to put on the helmet of salvation... To love God with an excellent mind. Jerusalem was an intellectual center of the world in the first century. 1 Peter 3.15, he tells the people, be ready to give an answer. You know, when people say whatever they say, the world is ripe with meaning because God is simply because God is. You do not let, have to let that affect your salvation. I think we're afraid to put our helmets on or we don't put them on properly, maybe because of the reality of sin in the world or old sin that we're still dealing with that is forgiven. You know that great line in the fourth birth of John Charles Wesley's hymn. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. He's wishing for a thousand tongues to sing. 
my great Redeemer's praise. In the fourth verse of that, he says, talking about Christ and the salvation we have in him, he breaks the power of he sets the prisoner free. Yeah. He breaks the power of canceled sin. We have this canceled sin that is just messing with us. That we have to put on our guard to fight against. I think that we don't put the helmet of salvation on because I think some of us don't understand salvation. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We are saved from perishing. I think that we're under expectors. We don't understand salvation. doesn't just mean conversion. It means growing in our character, the fruits of the Spirit. Awesome things that don't take us away from people. But love, the first one, allows us to be authentic with people more than ever before. Joy doesn't make us grim and dull and boring and out of touch. It's, vi it's vivid. It's vivacious. Love, joy, peace, and all the rest. So salvation is, is conversion, yes, but it's our character. We live those things out, and that fruit grows in us. And it's creativity that's unleashed. It's belief in action, sort of like Lou said. Honey, you didn't interrupt me once or you, help me once. You only got to page four of 16. I, I expected you to go away. Seriously, page four. Well, you know what? I no, didn't. Uh -uh. No, it's all right. Seriously, Put away childish you. things. I had my spies in the front row. I said, he's got 16 pages of notes. <laughs> We're going to be here all day. And I'm like looking at my watch thinking, this is never going to work. So salvation, the whole helmet idea, the helmet of salvation really points to the ultimate victory that God, God has given us over the forces of evil. Jesus' death at, on the cross and his resurrection because his death on the cross was fruitless or pointless without his resurrection. If he had just died on the cross, he would have been like every other person who died, dead. But that wasn't where God left him. God resurrected him from the dead. So his death on the cross and his resurrection provides all believers with freedom from the bondage of sin and with eternal life. That's what that helmet of salvation does. I want somebody to look at 2 Timothy 2.9. Somebody say you got it. 2 Timothy 2.9. Come on. Got it. Got it. 2 Corinthians 5.17. We read it already. Somebody said yes? Yeah? Got it. I heard that. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Matthew 5.11 and 12. Got it? Come on. Thank you. John 3.16. You don't even have to look that one up. Shame on you. And here's another one. You, I just want somebody who knows it that can say it. And this other one, 1 John 1, 9. Okay, got it. So we've got some memorized, memorizers. What does it mean to put on the helmet of salvation? 2 Timothy 2, 9. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Is that 2, 9 or 2, 5? That was 2, 9. Wow. 
Then let me look it up, because I might have given you the wrong one. Do you know when we were getting married in our wedding, uh, a girl read scripture, and we wanted to read from Deuteronomy 6, you know, that uh, train up your, the, Israel, the Lord your God is one, I love the Lord your God, um, teach these to your children. And she missed by like two chapters, and she's like talking about the Amalekites <laughs> in the middle of our wedding. Oh no, not just the Amalekites, <laughs> circumcision. Speaking of the belt of truth, <laughs> I still can't believe she said that. Her, fa her face, uh, what I'm looking for is it's not by works of righteousness. Man, where did I get that one? I'm not even close, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. Listen, it's not because of us. It's not because of anything that we have done. To put on the helmet of salvation means that we realize that. We've got assurance of our salvation, not because of you and me, but because of God. Second mm -hmm. Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. To put on the helmet of salvation means that we remember, we realize that we are not... Um, what we once were. We know that we are a new creation. We're not living for selfish reasons. We're living for new reasons. Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Great, thank you. To put on the helmet of salvation is to accept that you're in a battle. Realize it. It should, not, it should not shock you. You are in a battle, and you will be persecuted. And the more you desire to live for God, the more you're going to face that persecution. John 3.16 says what? So love the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but, but have, have everlasting, everlasting life. life. Thank you, Awana. <laughs> and Pioneer Clubs. To put on the helmet of salvation is to look forward to eternal life. We're not just saved here on earth. We are saved for eternity. We're mm. saved for eternity. In 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and pardon us from all our Absolutely. Put on the helmet of salvation means that we know that you and I are forgiven. We're forgiven if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Our salvation, that salvation that has been given to us, is a protective and a defensive device that covers us. It shields us and protects us from the schemes of the devil. It's not like the she it isn't the shield, but it's like the shield. It protects our heads and our minds so that we can think. So that not only do we feel something in our hearts, but we know it to be true in our mind. Can I jump in there on page 14 of my notes? <laughs> <laughs> Move this along. I will. 
Our feelings are the most variable and unreliable part of who we are. And the helmet of salvation, um, there comes a point in our lives where we have to decide, am I going to let my life be run by my feelings or by my brain, (laughs) where they come from? And Paul literally talks about put away childish things. Does anybody remember what chapter that is? 1 Corinthians 13, right in the middle of the love chapter. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away with childish things. The Greek word of that is katargio. It literally means to put away. The helmet of salvation can protect us in who we are in Christ in such a way that when the enemy attacks, which happens so often through our emotions and our feelings, that we are able to grow up in Christ. Our salvation really enables us to, um, to lead whole and healthy um, lives, not fractured at all by the enemy's deceptive strategies. That helmet helps us to do that. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and might have it abundantly, overflowing, not just eking out a living on earth, but living abundantly. That helmet of salvation, when we realize what, whose we are and what has been done for us on the cross, we can live an abundant life. One of the most important things for children is for them to know some, they can know the world is generally safe, but for them to grow up knowing some security in order for them to flourish and to be who God made them to be. They must be secure. And so for us to offer that to kids, we need it just as much ourselves. And the helmet of salvation in place in our lives helps us to know never will he leave us nor forsake us and that we are secure in that. So when the blow comes at the worst possible place in our lives, we are everything else may be falling apart, but we are secure in our salvation through Jesus Christ. And that's what the the liar and the deceiver doesn't want us to understand. He doesn't want us to believe that. As long as you and I don't apply salvation to the rest of our lives, as long as we kind of keep our salvation as this solitary (coughs) act that just happened when I was six and that I was saved way back, but it doesn't really necessarily make a difference in my life today, then that's exactly where he wants us. Paul tells us, in Philippians 2.12, to work out our salvation. Work it out. Don't just be saved when you're six because you didn't want to go to hell when they explained it to you, but work it out in your daily lives. Put on your salvation as a protection for your head, for your life. Put that salvation on. It will protect you because the schemes of the devil will come and want to say, you're not. You're not, you're not, you're not. That helmet says, yes, I am. I was saved. I am being saved. And someday I'm going to be saved. 
I was saved from the penalty of my sin. That's justification. I'm working out my salvation. I'm being saved all along. I'm not working to be loved by God more. I'm working because I love God more. That's <laughs> sanctification. And someday I'm going to be saved and eternally spend, spend eternity with God in heaven. Which will be better than we ever know. That's the glorification. C.S. Lewis, my favorite book is The Great Divorce. And in it, it's about a bus ride from hell to heaven. It's awesome. It's kind of surreal. And, and as long as you know that much about it, hell is the gray town. Heaven is so vivid and so real that when the people in hell who are just smudges of what's left of their humanity get off the bus, their feet hurt because the grass is so hard, because it's so real. The colors hurt their eyes because they just can't take in the awesomeness of it, because they gave up their capacity to do so when they left behind their salvation. It's not that lust is too strong of an emotion for heaven. It's, it's that it's too weak. It's too weak of a form of love or whatever. All of the things that we think are too horrible for heaven, it's not because they're too strong and they're going to overpower heaven. The, the salvation that we have in Christ is, um, enables us to fully enjoy and to fully experience the greatness of God because we are now sons and daughters of his and our minds are protected and fully alive and fully functioning in that way. So it's called the great divorce, meaning we try to marry heaven and hell. C.S. Lewis says they can never be married. And so he's responding to a book called The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. And we try to do that our whole lives when he says, ultimately, there comes a choice. We like to try to deny that. But so, it's that heaven and hell are, div are divorced. <coughs> yes, dear? <laughs> so remember how I said that not all Roman soldiers could afford the armor to go into battle. And can you imagine... Um, if a, if a soldier couldn't afford a helmet or the proper helmet, what words might you use to describe how that soldier might feel going into battle without a helmet? Insecure, vulnerable, vulnerable naked. naked, unprotected, unprepared, exposed, unprepared, terrified. Wouldn't it be terrifying to go into battle without anything else? Having a helmet is really a confidence builder. Having your helmet of salvation on is a confidence builder. It means that we have the security of knowing that we have the protection of God in the heat of the battle. We cannot be destroyed by a blow to the head. And the good news is, is that we as believers never have to be without our helmets. The price for our helmet the price for our salvation has been paid in full by the Savior. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved. I should know that. Seriously, I, I was like, up. what are you doing? I know. <laughs> for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of yourselves, not as a result of works that anyone should boast. For by grace you have been saved not by yourselves. Shame on us if we go into the battle without our helmet. 
on. Shame on us. Shame on us if we go into the battle remembering, without remembering, that we have so great a salvation paid for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 1, I'm going to end with these two passages. Um, if you want to really know what Paul is talking about with the, the armor of God, I wish we could have done a whole study on the book of Ephesians. But let, let me just read to you a couple of passages that talk about what we have. Ephesians 1, 4 through 14. i got to do it fast. Uh, starting here. I'm going to start with three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us, the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. Listen to all we have. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heaven and things upon the earth. In him also we have in, obtained an inheritance, having been, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. Chapter 2 says, starts this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Listen, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. Listen to this if it's all you get, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen to what Paul says. That's what we were, but that's not what we are. We're not there anymore. And when Satan wants to push you down and put you down and tell you you don't matter, you don't care, nobody cares, God doesn't care, can't use you, whatever you are, you say back to him, I am created by a living God, I am his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Let's pray. 
Father God, I thank you that positionally we can never change. We have been saved. Our salvation is true. When we put on that helmet of salvation, we can resist Satan. As we stand firm, knowing that our salvation is sure. And it's not based on our faith, but it's based on what you have done on the cross. I pray that you would help us to remember that when Satan sends his fiery darts. Bless us today and make us a blessing. But most of all, show us who we are and help us to show others who they are also. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.